the OSU Spurs Cast, episode 514. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me for this episode in studio is Project Spurs' own Colin Reed. Colin, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, you and I are personally like doing well, but yeah. <laughs> the Spurs are not doing so well. You know, it's a little interesting, Colin. Uh, you know, they've actually they they have they've only played a few games. The season just started uh, about a week ago. Um, they're now four games through the season at, that on the night that we're recording this. And uh, they're two and two, and they've played some pretty good teams. Teams that were, you know, coming into the season, they were like borderline or might be playoff teams, according to you know statisticians and also Las Vegas's odds. So um, last week, when I recorded with Steven Anderson, we, we went in detail about the Spurs and Wolves game, that first opening game, because that was the only game they had played at that time. Well, now we've had we've had three more games um, uh, had, had played, and that's uh, the Spurs has lost at Portland, the win against the Lakers. And the loss to the Pacers. So let's go ahead and, and dig into some of these games and just kind of see see where, where we're at, where we're both thinking on these teams. Okay, so the first one. Uh, Saturday night, the Spurs played at Portland. They lost by 13 points. Uh, Portland held a pretty comfortable lead throughout the night. Then with 32 seconds left in the third quarter, they led by 15, and San Antonio was never to make that able to make that comeback. Uh, with like three minutes left, Pop took out all the starters. It was over. Monday... Um, in LA, it was a late one here for us that watched in San Antonio. Uh, they beat the Lakers in overtime by one. That was a, that was obviously a really fun game, dramatic game. So the Spurs uh, took a really um, a big lead by 18 early in the first quarter. Then the Lakers end up tying it late in the third quarter. The Lakers, I mean, then the Spurs came back to lead by eight with a minute 10 left. And I honestly thought it was over. I was about to turn off the TV. I'm like, okay, this one's done. And no, uh, the Lakers came back, LeBron and... Um, uh, JaVale, LeBron hit a three, um, who was it? Kuzma hit a three, and then also JaVel McGee made a layup to make it that 8-0 run. So they go to overtime. The Lakers go up by six, and I thought it was over, 55 seconds left. And then the Spurs end up uh, uh, winning the game by one point uh, in overtime. And then lastly, which is the most recent game on Wednesday night in San Antonio, the Spurs took their first loss at home of the season. They lost by 20 to the Indiana Pacers. And this one really wasn't close after um, – 8.25 left in the second quarter. The Pacers took a 16-point lead. And the Spurs got it within eight at one time in the third quarter. Uh, but it was just never, you know, we, we saw Indiana just go by 20-plus points. So I know it's a lot of games and, and information that is threw at you right there. But uh, what did you what have you thought about these last these first four games? I guess we can throw in that Wolves game as well. I think that Portland, especially, you look at where a lot of their scoring comes from. And... The Spurs' defense isn't really great anywhere, but especially, I think, in the backcourt is where it's really suffering. And I know you wrote about that, and you kind of had the stats of, like, man, it was Forbes and Mills that they really picked on all night. Uh, And I think that's going to be the case for a while. One thing I was thinking when you said all that that kind of almost made me chuckle and is maybe a little depressing, you know, I, I love his upside for the team, but when you're looking there and you're like, man, the Spurs really need Derek White to come back. And that's, like, probably not a great outlook for the season. Yeah. (laughs) When you're like, man, they cannot wait for Derek White. That's probably not great, but that's the place that we're at right now. Not only him, Lonnie Walker the fourth, a guy who... A guy who we still haven't seen, you know, play a lot of preseason basketball. He he barely played in the summer league because he got hurt in there too. A lot of people are w- waiting on him to come back because they think he has that much potential and upside. We have no idea if these two guys can play max minutes, you know, mm. good and good rotation minutes, and how much upside they have defensively. Yeah, but they're but there's something right now, yeah. right? Like the uh, mystery box is better than what we <laughs> yeah, have. Exactly, that's what it is. So uh, I, I remember reading the stat somewhere. I can't remember where it was. I think it was one of the San Antonio Express news guys that that was the highest for the Lakers game that anyone scored on the Spurs ever. So it's kind of crazy that they, that the Spurs won that game. Yeah. Um, and the Pacers team, I actually, 
this is kind of weird analysis, but I, uh, I took my boss to the game. It was the first NBA game he's been to in a long time. And the thing that he noticed kind of as an outsider was uh, not knowing any of the players on either team. Like, hey, like the Pacers look coherent and the Spurs don't look like they've played together before. And that, I think, is a part of the fact that there's so many new players and there's so many new pieces. And I do think that there is going to be a patience aspect to this, mm-hmm. but I don't know what the ceiling is. And I think this game, these last three games showed all of it. I think they're going to be a uh, higher ceiling, lower floor team this season than they were last year. Yeah, so let's really get into this, um, you know, these, these four games of sample of data. Let's go into some of the numbers and then some of the indiv- individual players. And, and, you know, what's what is the data saying about this team? So, um, like we like we mentioned, um, offensively they're they're okay. Like you know, they, they're actually um, according to NBA.com, they're second. They're the second most efficient offense right now through four games. Uh, they're scoring. Um, what is this? Oh, look at the rogue side. Yeah, offensively they're they're scoring 113.9 points per 100 possessions, which is ranked second overall. And then, but it's uh it's the other side of the ball. It's defensively. Um, they're they're allowing 118.1 points per 100, which is dead last as of today that we're recording this on a Thursday. Um. And you know they're actually they're actually three point one points per one hundred possessions worse than the worst team in the league, which is Cleveland. So Cleveland has a better defense statistically <laughs> than the Spurs. And obviously that that relates to that board, that blowout in Portland and also in Indiana. Uh, those are some factors. So like you mentioned, you know they've been fine offensively those first three games, especially against the Wolves, uh, the Lakers, and also um, who was the other team that they? Oh yeah, the, the Wolves, the Lakers, and um, and Portland. Because those teams, you know, don't have that that known defensive um, identity. Whereas Indiana came in with the top five defense, and they showed it. And the Spurs, we finally saw the Spurs offense struggle a little bit, which is okay. Because like Pop's been mentioning, you know, they're, they're going to get to the offense later on. Right now, he re- he's really concerned about the defense. So um, so let's go ahead and dig into the defense here. Oh, one more stat I want to throw at you as far as the state of the Spurs. Um, according to CleaningTheGlass.com, according to like their net rating right now by their by their stats. They're on pace for like a 20-win team. So that changes. You know, before that game, they were on pace for a 34-win team. Yeah. So it'll change with, with the amount of games. So let's get into the defense here uh, really detailed now. Um, so I went through NBA.com, and here's the few stats that uh, I, I looked up. Um, I wanted to see the opponent's um, attempts and field goal percentage in the restricted area, the corner three, and above the break three, because those are the three shots that, you know, teams want to get to is, is the free throw line, the three-pointers, and the, the paint. They, wanna, they, they, don't, they, they don't want to go to the mid-range like the Spurs do. So in the restricted area... Uh, the Spurs are having trouble there. They're ranked 22nd. They're allowing teams to get in there and take 32.5 shots per game. The, the field goal percentage there is okay. They're, they're, uh, teams are only making 62.3% of their baskets, which is 15th. So they're like league average in terms of rim protection defense. Mm-hmm. The corner three, surprisingly, if you watch that Pacers game, I would have thought it was horrible, but it's not that bad. So uh, they're, they're actually the second best defense in terms of allowing attempts from corner three. They're only allowing 4.3 per game, which is very low. Yeah. So they're doing well as far as not letting teams shoot from a corner three. But here's the flip side. Teams are shooting 53% from corner three, and that makes the Spurs dead last in terms of percentage. So when the teams do get those rare corner threes, they're making them at a really good rate uh, in percentage. And then the last three that's really killing the Spurs right now is the above-the-break three. So that's you know left side, middle, and, and right side of the arc. The Spurs are, are 22nd, allowing 26.3 attempts from there, and teams are shooting 41% from there, which is 27. So that's the area. If you really want to point to an area on the three-point line that the Spurs are struggling from, it's that above-the-break three-point line. And again, that uh, a memory comes right to me is Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. Call a high pick-and-roll, uh, go right off the screen. You see LaMarcus or Powell or Jakob Perto drop back, and that's it. They, they show, Not Jakob. He wasn't playing that game. But anyway, the bigs drop back, and so they took those threes. Uh, the, the, the Pacers had a few of those threes that they opened up for each other, uh, and also the Lakers. That's where the LeBron, you know, that, that range where LeBron hit from. 
Um, as far as like allowing forcing teams to take the mid range, they're not doing a very good job of that. They're they're not they're only they're twentieth in terms of of making teams take from the from the mid range. So that's not a shot that that teams are taking from them. They're getting what they want. Um, so just focusing first on the paint and the three point line. What did you think about some of that those numbers and what you've seen? I think it really is one of those things where the numbers kind of bear out what's obvious. I think a lot of the early numbers, like early season numbers, you have a lot of fluky stuff like. Blake Griffin shooting like 60-something percent from three. That's like the magic last year. They are talking about that on the low post. But one of those things where it's, you know, you look at their perimeter defenders right now and you would expect it to be really, really like insane shooting percentages from the other team. So, and then at the rim too, you have um, Pirtles new to the Spurs system. Rudy Gay isn't, or not, well, yeah, Rudy Gay, but also uh, Pau Gasol and... Um, Bertons aren't really known for like yes. stopping people at the yeah. rim, um, and I think that's probably one of Powell's stronger areas defensively. But it, you know he's still not yeah <laughs> like Gobert or anything. Uh, but really, I think what I think of is you know I don't think the Spurs ceiling on defense is very high. Like I think Same it's, here. Same it's here. at best league average, and I don't mean like they're efficiency. Oh, wow. I mean like you have higher expectations than me. <laughs> well, I, I just think. When I mean like when everything's clicking, yeah. like they can be a league average, okay, not like okay. where it's going to end yeah, their yeah. rating. But I just think that some of it is we've seen this season just like every team come out hitting every three. So yeah. there's a small amount of it, not a lot of it, a small amount of it that I think is, is luck, like bad luck. And I also think that some of it is scheme because watching that Pacers game, there was just missed rotations. Like they would just pass, yeah. pass, 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 and then they would have an open three. Yeah. And it was wide open, almost all of the threes they took. So I do think that there is some scheming stuff, but I think that some of that is also physical limitations. In terms yeah, of, like the, like that those Pacers things, it's just the, the dribble penetration. Yeah. I mean, guys are just getting where they want, and by, they break the first line of defense, and that's it. Your, your defense is broken. Yeah. And it, that's, what I, that's what I think of. I think of that Pacers game and also that Portland game. Yeah, and I think that that's where – can we talk about it maybe being like really like a second year player and a rookie or like you're yeah. what's going to help you, but their size will help. And you, you look at uh, Patty Mills and as much energy as he's brought to the team and Bryn Forbes as much as he's actually been hitting shots and like helping the offense. But those two players cannot get around screens. Like all you have to do is set one screen on them and they're out of the play completely. Yeah. And when that happens, when you take one player out of the play, like, Patty Mills is a high-energy guy. He's going to run to people. But when he's not in the play, he can't do anything. So it's easier to get those open shots when it's like, okay, we completely nullified their point guard on defense because we just set a screen against them. Yeah, and then from that point, you know, then then it's the, the guard, whoever has the ball going in against the big. And then, of course, you've broken down the defense. You're either getting somebody else cutting, you're getting a three-pointer if you just move the ball around. Yeah. So let's continue with a few, few more of these numbers that um, I dug up. Uh, so now these next numbers are from cleaningtheglass.com. Um, uh, field, effective field goal percentage for the opponent. They're ranked 29th. Shoot, teams are shooting 57.8%. Turnover percentage. You know, this is one of the things about losing Danny Green, losing Kyle Anderson, uh, DeJounte Murray especially, is that these are these were guys who helped create turnovers, and the Spurs aren't doing that anymore. They're no longer just getting extra defensive stops just by turnovers because they're, they're only forcing teams to turn the ball over on 11.3% of their possessions, which is 27th. One thing Pop mentioned yesterday. So so we did the media talk to spoke to Pop yesterday uh, before the game before they lost to the Pacers and he basically said like, you know, his expectations, he said he even said like the, the quote like like our defense isn't going to be to where it used to be. Like he knows like Pop is is being real here where he knows that, you know, 
they they may not be that top ten defense, you know, this season with, with just just because of the personnel that they have with Dejounte out. I think that that the Spurs are, are acknowledging that themselves, but he knows that they can get better. Now, one area that he said they can get better in that they've already taken care of or are taking care of is uh, not putting teams on the free throw line. So that's always been a staple of their defense, and, and they're doing a great job of that right now. They're only um, they're ranked ninth in terms of um, allowing teams to only shoot eighteen point two percent of their possessions or free throw attempts. So or, or you know the free throw rate. So this is something that, that they do have that that down at least. You know at least they're not fouling people. Some other data that just doesn't look well for them in the half court. They're ranked 29th, allowing one hundred five point seven points per one hundred. Uh, they, the Spurs are not turning it over themselves. They're really good. You know, they're taking care of the ball for having all these new players, which is not good for your defense if you're not even turning it over and you still have, have a bad defense. Um, and they, they're doing a good job of not letting teams play in transition, but when teams do get in transition, their Spurs are dead last in terms of taking away points. Teams are scoring um, 6.6 points per 100 from transition. And then offensive rebounding, um, allowing opponent offensive boards, um, it, it's like strength 17th, which isn't too bad. Um did you have anything to add to any of those notes that I just read right there or stats? Yeah, I, um, it's, it's one of those things I, re- I really do think that like in every area, and I guess, you know, when I was talking about some of it's like some of the scheme, I mean, and it is personnel too. I mean, it's pretty much every area that you need to go right for you on defense isn't going right for them. And I, I feel Except like, free throw rate. Yeah, that's that they're right. doing well. And that they always <laughs> will do well. I, yeah. And, you know, I actually think that because they do, play bigger than most teams, they can be better at rebounding. And that mm-hmm. is important at defense. They're not doing it now, but I think that they can get there. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm high on them. Actually, a really obscure thing that I was researching for an article, I looked last year at the correlation between opponents' offensive rebounding and a team's own defensive rating. And the correlation was actually really small. It didn't really affect it all that much. It was oh, a pretty okay. weak that's correlation. Yeah. The, the strongest correlation was effective field goal percentage, and then everything was like 0.2 or less, which is pretty weak correlation. Um, so I really think that that is one of those things where they just, right now, everything is going bad for them on defense. And there are a couple things throughout the year that might go better for them, but I don't ever think that they'll have that capable defense. As you were talking here, I kind of, <laughs> it's hard when we're talking about this, the way that their defense has been and not feel needlessly mean, but we've been yeah. talking this whole time. And as you were talking, like I just sat here and remembered like Marco Bellinelli is in the rotation yeah, and like he's out there too. And that's another player that's just getting eaten alive on the, the there was a play where it was a two on one fast break and it was two Spurs defenders versus one Pacers guard. And that was, that guard was Victor Oladipo. The two defenders were Powell and Marco. And let's just say Victor Oladipo got to the layup uncontested, basically. <laughs> and I, you know, I just felt, you know, it's just, you know, that's just that's not their hallmark. That's yeah, not what Powell yeah. at this stage was career. It's not what Powell's known for. It's not what Marco's ever been yeah. known for. And they're asked to play these these giant minutes because there's just no the depth issue. It's just that everybody's hurt. Um, so now let's actually. I know you've you've already brought up some players here, and, and let's just go ahead and get into some of the players. So now, obviously, the eye test is going to match what the what the numbers are spinning out. So I, I pulled the. Um, Basically, the, 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 so, so the team defensive rating, like I mentioned, Spurs cast listeners, is 118.1 points per 100. So I wanted to see who, when, and that's already bad enough. That's 30th, basically. But I wanted to see who is, who makes the, who's even worse when they're on the floor. How does the Spurs defense drop even worse? And there's four, there's uh, four players who fit that. Well, five, actually, but one of them I think we, we can kind of uh, agree is not that bad. Uh, so the, there's five players that the numbers spit out. So when Powell is on the floor, Powell Gasol, he has the worst defensive rating on the team at 132.2. So it just gets even more 14, you know, basically. Um, so he's, he's at, statistically speaking, the defense drops the worst when he's on the floor. And he mainly comes in off the bench uh, at, at the five. This next worst defender is, is Patty Mills at 129.5 points for 100. 
Next person is, surprisingly for me, uh, was Davis Bertans at 123.7. Then it's Brent Forbes at 119.3. But but if you think about that, Forbes is actually playing okay defense when you look at these numbers because the team is at 118 and he's only at 119. So it's only one one point per possession higher. And then also for Aldridge, he's at 119. And again, that... And again, you have to take into fact that, that you know some of these were blowouts, so so that they were having to play in. So really, when you think about the, the three, the two isolated defenders, it comes down to Powell and Mills, is is what the, the numbers are really saying. Um, and that's kind of something that that I, I, you know we're going to get into some of the lineup data a little bit a little bit when I ask you another question. But um, you know when, when Mills plays next to Forbes, it's not working out, and then Powell just at the center spot, uh, whether you know whether with Lamarcus or without, you know the, the numbers just don't look good. What do you think about those two players right now defensively? When I was watching the game last night, that's kind of what I realized, and this is on both sides of the ball, was that another hallmark of the Spurs for a long time has been their bench play. And it's only been four games, but so far the bench hasn't been an advantage for them. And this was kind of true last year just because of the way that they had to shift players around with, you know, not knowing where, like, oh, you know, Kawhi was supposed to be in the starting lineup. He wasn't, and then they shifted players around or whatever. But, like, this year I think it is a personnel thing again where you know you're used to okay there's not going to be this huge shift from the starters when you go to the bench and now like other teams benches are playing yeah. better than the Spurs are and that's on both sides of the ball but I think most notably on defense um you know the Pacers I mean they really the Pacers killed the Spurs bench and I think like yeah. at the beginning of the game the starters were really keeping up with them and the first time that they like really put the whole bench lineup out there was when like the Pacers took the lead and they never looked back. Yeah, Tyreek finished with I think seventeen or nineteen points. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sabonis had like almost like fifteen or sixteen. You know, and those were on efficient looks like those two players. Um, yeah, I mean th- that's a good point. You know, and I was thinking about their scoring and a lot of it depends on Marco. And then so so you're you're depending on Marco to have a good night. You know, off the bench for the scoring surplus, but then also defensively, none of these guys off the bench are known outside of Dante Cunningham are known as stout defensive players. You know, that have had that kind of reputation. So I, I did want to ask one question. Obviously, we're really hammering the Spurs here defensively. Well, I mean, in a way, it's just the numbers say it. I mean, I, I was like, I wrote on Twitter, I was shocked to see that they're 30th. I just never, in all the years I've been covering the team, and Pop, I've never seen one of his. I know it's obviously only four games. It's a very small sample size. It just, it's almost like shocking to see these kind of numbers, even though we know, you know, the situation with all the, the guys injured. And even Pop, you know, he was he was obviously upset yesterday after the game, but he, even him, he, he kind of like... And usually when they lose by like twenty, he he you know he basically uh, calls out the team basically. But he kind of refrained from from doing that too much, just because he knows it's a brand new team. He talked about how it's really going to take time. Like you mentioned, he's preaching patience. The players are doing that. You know, scheme wise, a lot of these guys haven't been known for their defensive side of the floor, so it's going to be it's almost like a, like a whole new learning course for them for a lot of these players that that are new to the team, and then plus getting acclimated with everyone that's already been there. So I think Pop is definitely going to hold back in terms of of, of really criticizing the team until you know, and, and really just trying to be more of a teacher out there uh, uh, for the for the defensive concepts. Uh, I did have this question for you though. Do you think that we're putting a lot of we're putting too much emphasis in this, or do you think that they just um, really had a bad draw to start the season? They had basically four like playoff bound teams, a few really good offensive teams that they've had to play against. Because like we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, they're going to have their next three games like the Lakers, the Suns, and uh, and Dallas, like yeah. teams that are not winning basketball games. So do you think that some of this just has to do with the fact that that they've played some really good teams already or decent teams? I think it has. I think that some of it is sample size obviously they've been hit by the injury bug and when we're talking about January they still won't have DeJounte but they'll have you know Lonnie and Derek White so there's a couple things there where it's like 
you know, they kind of got a rough stretch to start. They're going to have an easier stretch now. But really, you know, it is like we've been saying, you just look at the personnel and it's just hard to, to say anything other than like it's going to be limited all season. It can be better than it is now for sure. And that is a small sample size type thing. They're not probably 30th in mm-hmm. the league in defense all year, but it's it's never going to be like Spursian level defense. Hey, let me ask you this question. This is just off the top of my head. I want to see what you think. Before Derek and Lonnie come back, let's just say that they start clicking You know, the best that they can. Uh, they get everything cohesive. What is the best this team can do with Patty and Bryn at the guard position d- defensively? Do you think if they got everything clicking on the right page? My, I'll just tell you my guess. My guess is 20th. They could be 20th? up to 20th. Yeah. That was, so the very, very first number that popped into my head was 25. And okay. then like, I kind of went back down to 20. And then like as you asked the question, I went back to 25. Again. Oh, wow. I, I feel like, well, and I think part of it is just because I think that um, Derek was like changed to like two to four weeks after his injury, right? So he could be coming back. Yeah, we're so gonna, I don't think there's a whole lot of time. We're going to get to him in a little bit, but yeah, yeah. He, he we don't have an actual timeline for him. Uh, oh, Pop really? said two to four weeks, but the team is basically Hasn't saying like six anything. to eight weeks. So that okay. could, that's why. Yeah, I, I think that even like best case scenario, they don't have time to correct the numbers, even though it is small sample size yeah. right now. Um, just like their absolute best won't have time to bring 30 down to like 10 of yeah, course of course not yeah so and i think their absolute best might be around like 17th and so i think that it's going to land kind of somewhere in the middle okay so 17th to 30th okay and mine's 20th if they yeah. can get it together okay let's go ahead and move on to some um some topic number three and that's the um kind of some of the questions i have um so let's think about a temporary fix what do you think with the current players they have on the roster what do you think they can do to help, you know, ease some of this outside of just learning, you know, learning, watching film, learning the concepts from pop, learning the rotations, getting more minutes with their teammates. What are some of the things that they could either do scheme wise or personnel wise? So like, here's one thing, here's something I'm just thinking, I think for sure play more small, like, like you really just got to, it comes down to, I think you just got to make a choice uh, of just not playing pow or Pirtle. You got to just play LaMarcus at five and have either Rudy Gay next to him, Bertans or Cunningham. Uh, those kind of lineups, a lot more fours are where, the, where there's stretchy fours and guys who can slide more and switch rather than just having your traditional, you know, four or five. So that's one thing I would recommend. And then also, you know, the numbers just I'm going to get to the numbers in a little bit. But the, the Patty Mills, Brent Forbes backcourt is not working out. And, you know, then it's going to then it becomes Patty and Marco or Forbes and Marco or Forbes and DeRozan, you know, because there's literally no, no other guards outside of those those four players. It's it's all handled by uh, DeRozan. Mer, uh, Marco Bellinelli, uh, Mills, and, and uh, Forbes. So that's the thing. Why, that's why Pop has to play them a lot. But the numbers, I mean, defensively are just uh, almost atrocious with, with those two when they have to play together. Uh, so, so what do you think are some kind of band-aid, some, some temporary fixes they can make without having to change personnel? Yeah, I know um, when we're looking at playing smaller, I think that, you know, that can help the defense. But I almost wonder if they just lean into it and say, we'll play the best defense we can. But, like, let's just go, like, put the – best offensive lineups on the court that we can like defense be danged like we're already oh, 30 wow. yeah, yeah like might as well just like put it all like, like almost don't... outscore somebody yeah. yeah i mean that's what they did with the lakers they scored yeah. 143 yeah. you yeah, know exactly. and, and uh they talked about pop talked about even after Dejounte went out like you know we were our plan was to push the ball when Dejounte was here and now that he's out that's still our plan and that was probably maybe a little bit of like coach talk but i mean and I know Aldridge really isn't known for, like, running down the court. He's kind of the post-up kind of player. But, like, I mean, maybe if they're just, like, they're 30th in pace, where they were after, I think, the Laker game, mm. if I remember correctly. So maybe just, like, like go small and just, like, put out the best offensive lineup you can and just run the ball. 
Yeah. See, from what I'm thinking, why, why I say go small is just because I really feel like they're getting beat off dribble penetration is the first place, and then also the um, the pick and roll and or dribble handoff action. Like that's just killing them. Where where uh, you know as soon as like you mentioned, as soon as Patty or or Brink gets taken out of a play because of a screen. Uh, at least you had, you'd have a, a, a you know a quicker a four or even a Marcus at the five who's somebody who can shift quicker with their feet to help cover that space laterally and move around you know on rotations. Um, and it, right now I just don't see that it's working with Jakob Pell. Let, let me let me throw out some lineups that have uh, been played before and, and tell me what you think about these. Um, so these are all according to CleaningTheGlass.com because their lineups are tracked after you've played 15 possessions together. So you have to play minimum 15 possessions. Okay, so their best defensive lineup right now would be um, Bryn Forbes, Demar Derozan. Dante Cunningham, Rudy Gay, and Lamarcus Aldridge. It's basically that. It looks. It sounds like that lineup they use against the Lakers is what I'm thinking here. Now that lineup, if it played for a whole season, they they, they had a defensive rating of 105.9 points per 100, which would rank 11th. I mean, that's better than nothing right there. Um, the next lineup is uh best lineup defensively is Forbes, DeRozan, Rudy Gay, Aldridge, and and surprisingly Powell at the five. So that one would be 20th though ranked if it was for a whole season. And then the lastly, I'm going to go through is is a. Uh, the one that they're using right now, which is a Forbes, DeRozan, Gay, uh, Aldridge, and Pirtle, that's 27th ranked if that was first season. Um, so what do you think about that? Maybe keeping that, that that lineup they used against the Lakers with Cunningham at the three and Rudy at the four. I like that. And as we've been talking about going small, I think it reminded me of a couple of years ago when there was like kind of every when I think it was when the Warriors won like 73 games and it was Warriors go small, Warriors go small. And then there was like the kind of pushback on like, they go small with their big positions, but their like guards and wings are big, and like that's part of what helps them. And I think once uh, White and Lonnie come back, that's actually going to be part of it too. Is you know DeRozan's pretty dang big, uh, and so are both White and Lonnie Walker. So I think that playing that lineup, they still have size, which is something that the Spurs like to play with. They are still going small because mm-hmm. they don't have two traditional big men out there. But, like, they still have the size they like to play with. They can still crash the boards like they like to do. And I think that that's probably their best hope at having, like, a really plus defensive lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and just real quick, the numbers. Uh, so so there's two lineups where, where Mills and Forbes play together mm-hmm. on the court. And that the defensive rating of those lineups are 150 to 156.5 allowed points per 100 possessions. So that's why, that's why I mentioned earlier that those two... I mean, it's kind of tough. We do say, you know, for us to, here to say here, it's easy. Hell, don't play them together. But like, like I mentioned, where who are you going to play? There's yeah. only there's only literally two other options: DeRozan and Bellinelli, and they're already playing minutes. So that's why Pop does have to. I know the fans on Twitter, especially, get really frustrated. And they you know they complain, why are Forbes and Mills out there? Well, it's because there's literally no one else there to play unless they sign someone or trade for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go ahead and move on, though. Uh, let's go into the the conversation about um, trades. Now, I know obviously it's really early in the season. Um, if it continues to, to just get worse uh, defensively with, with Forbes and Mills, maybe they do need to look at a trade. Uh, the contract that the, the player with the contract that's most tradable, I would assume, is uh, Pal Gasol, just because he's on an expiring contract and he has the most money in there. He's sixteen point eight million, and only six point seven million is guaranteed for next season. Um, so a team could waive him if they if they um, they traded him, and they they do have a, a you know their, their second round picks that they could probably attach with them to to, to to move him. Now I've gone through a lot of the teams who were starting off really badly, um, you know like Cleveland, uh, Dallas, just a few, a few teams, Sacramento. And the only team that I can really think of uh, that that has a player who might be who might fit what what their their issues is George Hill, Cleveland. You know Cavs are zero and four that you and I are recording this. Uh, he's got he's got nineteen million this year. He's, he's an expiring contract basically because he's a free agent next summer. So. Um, you know, I think that Cleveland uh, would maybe do that for like Powell and then a second round pick. You know, maybe this year's second round pick, and that again would come down to how much do the Spurs want to 
basically make a temporary fix or like a slight adjustment, uh, uh, upgrade, should I say, uh, and lose a future asset. And that's a, that's a big thing is that it's a future asset. Um, uh, what do you think about that? If they were to maybe, if things got worse, if they were to look at making a trade. Yeah, I know um, that was something that I, you know, I had suggested maybe looking at one of the Clipper guards and I don't think they're available at all. And I had talked about giving up future assets for that. And I, that's a thing that fans don't even want to think about. Um, I actually think, again, I don't think either one of them are in the trade market, but I think either one of those Clipper guards, Avery Bradley or Patrick Beverly, would be mm-hmm. like amazing on the Spurs. And not even just right now with their defensive issues. I just mean like schematically, I think both of them would fit really well. But I think in, when you're talking about teams that are willing to trade their um, perimeter player that's good on defense, uh, you're talking about teams that probably aren't playing very well and want those future assets. And then when you're looking at that, you think of there really aren't a whole lot of teams yeah. who have that type of player. I mean, um, I, it's, Chris Dunn has a good reputa- uh, reputation for being a good defender, but yeah. like, I don't think the Spurs are going to go after him at all. Um, and I think, you know, <laughs> the joke that I thought of in my head was, you know, apparently the Rockets offered four first-round picks for, for Butler. Butler yeah. yeah, well, the Spurs' first, like, future first-round picks are probably going to be better than the Rockets, so might as well throw four picks at Butler. But they're not going to do that, of course. I do think that uh, George Hill is probably the best solution, especially with how poorly they've started the season. Yeah. You can think that that's, like, it was... Over the summer, all it was was like, okay, LeBron left and Kevin loves with the team. He's signing his contract extension. Look how much he loves the team. And like yeah. a weekend, it's like turmoil. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's why I mentioned George, just because yeah. he kind of fits. You know, he knows the Spurs system. You know, he he, he he's going to give you some some coverage. He's a, he's a you know he's a decent point guard there now, and he's going to be up there in age. And then defensively, you know, he, he's he, that's that's part of his game right there. So that's why that's the, he's kind of the only player that I could see though right now as far as like looking at the trade market. Now it'll. More players will become available as as teams start, you know, once we start seeing who's going to be tanking pretty soon here. But again, that could take some time before we know. And we, you got to watch the Spurs to see if they if they fall behind or they just kind of keep pace right there with like that type of five hundred record or, or get better. Now, one thing, Spurs cast listeners, that I do I do want to mention is that um I got a lot of like questions about like trading other players in the Spurs roster or even other players that got signed in free agency this summer on other teams. And just remember that players that signed their contracts over the summer in July, most of them cannot be traded until December fifteenth. So that's kind of when their their um their trade restrictions um, um lift where they can be traded. So that's just something to keep in mind as the season continues. Uh, and now let's talk about real quickly about Derek White and um, Lonnie Walker. I mean, you and I are talking about how how they're they're really dependent on these two guys coming back, and you know we still don't know when they're coming back. Like I mentioned, um, just Pop yesterday said that that Derek's doing well. He's uh he's progressing. He were his words in his, in his um in his training is rehab, should I say? And there's been no setbacks. But Pop still didn't have a date for us. And if it was those two weeks, that two week deadline, that would have been basically today. Like that's two weeks since the the, the press release came out that he was hurt. So, so we don't know when Lonnie and, and Derek are coming back. Now, just based on what you've seen from Lonnie in summer league and also Derek and you know his his years last year, then also this year in preseason how he played. What do you think those two guys could add, and and how how much better could the Spurs get defensively if you had to rank them um, with those guys if everything clicked well with them? I think that size is the biggest thing. Yeah, both, um, both six five guards, by the way. Right. Yeah, I think I think size on both of them. Lonnie Walker is obviously incredibly athletic. Um, and I think that while he's only a second year player, having been like a four year college player, I think that Derek White actually brings a steadiness about him. And that's kind of just the, the aura that he's kind of always played with in the G league when he has played with this person. I know in one of the preseason games, and I think part of it was because of, I think it was a preseason game against the heat. 
he started off pretty poorly, and then in the second half, like yeah, he, he really got over. into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so because of his bigger role on offense, he might it might be an adjustment period there. But I think that he's a very calm and steady player, um, and I think that's kind of what the Spurs need at that part. I, th- I think really it's it's just their their height and their length that the Spurs could really really use in the backcourt right now. And so, do you have like a ranking if everything that I, I'll give you mine? I think fifteenth. If they yeah. can, if those guys were to have really good upside defensively, I think that they could get the team boosted up to fifteenth defensively. Yeah, I think, I think that that's kind of where I'm thinking. Best case scenario, yeah, is like league average. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah. If, if everything went well, again, that's the thing though. Is like we say that and we have, we don't know the defensive upside yet because like Lonnie for sure we haven't seen him play. You know, what yeah. if he just you know did he just get hit by that rookie wall real early and the experience is not there for him? And then Derek too, we don't know. Uh, with, with big NBA core rotation minutes. So th- those are kind of the issues at defense. I, I really think, though, that some of the numbers will come down a little bit defensively with, one, again, the, the experience of playing together more reps, getting more, more coaching from Pop, watching film, and then just the level of opponents because like, we're about to get into this next part of the conversation where we're going to see that the schedule is going to get easier at some times and get a lot harder, too, as well at different times. So, Colin, um, let's, go ahead and go, let's go ahead and preview the next three games for the Spurs uh, before I record next week on Thursday. Uh, so Saturday night, they're here in town again against the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers are 1-3 to start the season as you and I record this. Uh, according to Cleaning the Glass, they have the second best offense, 116.7 points for 100, and 25th defense, ranked defense, 115.4 points for 100. This is a game where Rajon Rondo should be present because he will have served his three-game suspension. Uh, who do you have in this one between the Spurs and Lakers Saturday night? I think the Spurs will win again. I think it'll be close. I think that it will not be <laughs> the type of game that they had on Monday that was just kind of like the 143 to 142 type game. Um, I think that the Spurs will play a little bit uh, more collected, kind of all around on their own home court. And I think Brandon Ingram is like one of the players to really look out for, and he'll still be out. Like for me, that's such a huge yeah. loss for them right now that I think that. You know, LeBron is probably going to play fantastic, but I, I don't. I think that they have a lot to work out, and I think that the Spurs are kind of lucky to play them twice so early because I think they're going to be a very different team at the end of the year. And getting to play these two now, I think that they're a much weaker team than they will be in April. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm, I'm picking a Spurs win um, for a few factors. Again, I'm looking at that defense ready for the Lakers. Obviously, it's a small sample size, but they, they, they're, they're obviously going to let the Spurs offense score. So it's almost like what you said here. It's almost like we're going to go out and score you. So I'm, I'm going to put my faith more so in San Antonio's offense than I am the Lakers' defenses, which is why I'm choosing the Spurs. Uh, the next game, Colin, is, is Monday here uh, in Dallas and San Antonio. Uh, they're, the Mavericks are 2-2 two and two to start the season. Um, offensively, they're ranked 13th, 111.7 points per 100. Defensively, 116.1, which is 26th. So they obviously don't have a, a good defense either. I'm really excited for this game personally just because I get to see Luka Doncic. That's my, you know, I've, I've talked about him a lot on Spurs cast and other podcasts, and he's one of my favorite players already mm-hmm. just in the league, just his offensive skill set that he has, that, that, that versatile game. But um, I'll go first on this one. I actually have the Spurs winning this one as well. I, again, I see Dallas as a 26-ranked defense. Maybe they get better uh, by the time they see San Antonio. But for now, I'm relying on those numbers, and I'm going to say that the Spurs end up winning that game. Yeah, I think uh, when we talk about this early in the season, we're looking at teams where the offense looks pretty good, but the defense looks pretty bad. Kind of every team, really, that we've talked about so far. And I think at that point, you just give it to star power. Like, as good as... Like some of the Mavericks prospects look like they'll be. They have a lot more talent because they have DeAndre Jordan. I think you just say DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are better than anyone that the Mavs have on the roster, and that's probably just enough. So you're taking the Spurs yeah, in that the Spurs. one too? Okay. 
Okay. And then the last game, uh, as as far as before I record again, would would be um, next week um, on Wednesday at Phoenix. Now this is on Halloween night, so luckily for those of us who live in San Antonio, we don't have to you know go to to <laughs> watch the game there because at least uh, it, it'll come on pretty late at nine thirty p.m. start time here in San Antonio. Suns are one and three um, start the year uh, offensively one hundred eight point seven points per one hundred, which is eighteenth. Defensively, almost as bad as the Spurs, 118.5 points for 100, which is 28th. Um, who do you have on the road here uh, when the Spurs go to Phoenix? I'll take the Spurs again, and I think it does come down to star power. I think that uh, the Suns maybe have more pieces to do things than they have in the past, and I, I think that that kind of makes them more interesting than in the past. And that's true for almost all the teams in the West, which is nice because there's entertaining games on all the time. But I, I, I just come back down to when you have these games where the teams are all right or good on offense but bad on defense, you probably just take the team with the more talented players. Exactly. I'm with you there. And, again, I'm, I'm trusting more so in the Spurs' um, offense. And, you know, during this time frame play, playing these, these not-so-good teams, uh, they, they can start making those upgrades defensively as best as they can, even with the personnel that they have right now. Pop also mentioned, you know, he, he, he made sure to say this last night after the game that they're going to continue tinkering with lineups. So I, I don't think that he's sold on these top these, these 10 players that he's currently playing. If he's going to keep doing those kind of lineups, maybe he will go smaller, maybe he'll stay big. Uh, maybe he'll switch it up as far as the guards. Maybe give maybe give somebody like um, Quincy Pondexter some minutes. Um, maybe give Chemezi Metu. I mean, he's got he's obviously really young and raw, but he's got the foot speed to switch out onto guards. I mean, he's just he's just fluid whenever he moves um, off the ball. Um, thank you, Colin, for joining me on Spurscast episode five hundred fourteen. Spurscast listeners, if you're if you're um, on um, Twitter, please follow him at Colin Reed PS. Uh, also, make sure to read his work over at ProjectSpurs.com. I just want to promote a few more articles that, that, our, that our staff has been doing over on ProjectSpurs.com, or writing, should I say. Uh, Steven Anderson, make sure you check out his three standout players um, recaps. Uh, every time after the Spurs play a game, he has them up that night of the game. Um, Nathan Kula wrote about how the ball movement ball movement is back in San Antonio. So he wrote about the Spurs, some of the Spurs' passing um, numbers there. Uh, Tom Petrini wrote about DeMar DeRozan's aversion to cheap free throws. It goes back to, to how... DeMar could have almost like ended the game for the Spurs uh, by just trying to get to the free throw line, but instead he wanted to, 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 to kind of just uh, work work it out by not trying to get those cheap free throws. Uh, and then also, if the Spurs do end up going uh, winning only 20 games like that, that projection says from cleaningtheglass.com, if everything goes like horribly wrong, well, then the Spurs will be in the lottery. So ben, Benjamin Bornstein has you covered there. In the in the event that the Spurs do either make it to the lottery by just because they're record, they're not, they're not a good team, or maybe later on in, they, they make a trade that gets them a lottery pick. Uh, Ben's going to continue um, highlighting prospects in all sorts of ranges of, of the of the draft, and so his first player for his uh, lottery prospect watch is Romeo Langford. So you can read that up on ProjectSpurs.com. And then, lastly, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>